be here and gather in God's presence. I want to say welcome to all of us who are gathering in person and those who are online. We're glad that we can be together. Thankful for all those who are involved in our ministry to offer services in person and online. It's good to be back after a couple of weeks away, so I'm, I'm thankful for a chance to gather and worship. Um, as we begin, let's take a look at our orders of worship and some announcements. If you look in the inside cover, you'll see information about children's ministries and youth classes. Today there is the nursery, uh, also there is the preschool class and children's worship, and also the third through fifth grade class. And so all those classes will be down in the basement and run the whole time of the service. Also, just a note that there is youth group today at the community space following the service. That's from 11 o'clock to 1230. If you have questions, you can talk to Pastor Eric about that or, or grab me as well. Um, before dismissing the kids, just a couple of announcements. If you look at the back of your order, you'll see things are happening here in January and in a few weeks ahead into February. Um, we, there is a Wednesday night discussion right now during Epiphany. We're looking at writings by John Calvin around uh, as Jesus as the prophet, priest, and king. And so we had our first one last Wednesday. I invite you to participate this Wednesday. You can do so online or in person. Also, there is a book discussion coming up at the end of the month on the novel Bedrock Faith. We're joining with the public library, One Book, One Chicago, and Ozzy Santiago will be leading that on the 30th. And then the final thing just to highlight is that on the 5th of February, there is an art uh, discussion. So if you're interested in going downtown to view an art exhibit and then come back and discuss that, you'll see the information there. You can talk to Adonijah or Taylor about details, uh, but you do need an RSVP for that. So you can do so by contacting Taylor or through the weekly email. Again, we're glad that you're all here. If you're visiting or new, you know, we're so glad you're here. Please uh, introduce yourself to me or, or stop by and leave your contact information at the table on the front of the church. We'd love to follow up with you. Uh, this time, the children who are in the preschool class or children's worship or third through fifth grade class can make their way to the back. Pastor Eric is there, and he'll escort you downstairs to the basement. As we prepare to worship, let's take a moment of quiet. As God's called us to gather, let us prepare to come before God. The worship is from Psalm 36. Will you stand with us and we'll sing it together? Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your steadfast love, O steadfast love, O oh God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Your steadfast love, O oh Lord,
Almighty God, you are our only true refuge, our steadfast shelter, and we seek you and need you and long for you. Lord, even when we run from you, even when we wander long and far from you, even when we squander and the blessings and the gifts that you've given us, Lord, you call us home and you're eager to meet us with your grace. So God, as we gather and worship this morning, make us aware of your loving presence. And loving God, open our hearts to both receive and to give, to drink deeply of your love and then to give abundantly from it. May our lives be full with generosity and hospitality for our neighbor, those who are different than us, even those we disagree with. Lord, 
may we pursue and love as you did for us when our hearts were turned away from you. And God, as we continue to hold both weariness uh, from the virus, from the polarizing, the disorienting world we're living in, Lord, give us hope. Meet us with all of the delight and wonder and surprise that Jesus' life and death and resurrection bring to our anxious and hungry hearts. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, we turn now to our time of confession and assurance, and we look to God's mercy, his grace, his loving kindness, and we do so both as a church family, and then we'll have a time of quiet personal confession. Heavenly Father, you have promised never to leave us or forsake us, but it is hard to trust you when we can't see where we are going or understand the things that are happening in the world around us and inside our own hearts. Comfort and renew us by your spirit that we may have courage and perseverance for the work you have given us. Remind us of the everlasting love you have shown to us in the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Grant us your rest and your peace. Amen.
gracious God, we are thankful that you came to us in our weakness, in our greatest need of rescue. While we were still sinners, you descended into the depths of our sin and death to be in our place, to raise us to new life. We give thanks in the name of Christ. Amen. Let's stand together to hear the words of assurance that come to us from John chapter 10. Please join me. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. May be seated. Um, the New Testament lesson is from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom and to acknowledge the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healing by one spirit to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Um, then the gospel lesson is from John 2 verses 1 through 11. On the third day, where there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now became wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants knew who had drawn the water knew. Oh, sorry, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord.
Well, as I said in the, in the beginning, I'm really glad to be worshiping here uh, after a couple Sundays uh, away, and so it's good to be back. And you'll see in the note in your order that uh, we're going to begin a new sermon series that will go to the end of February. We're going to look at the Old Testament uh, book of Jonah. And so I mean, it seems like a good place to start just to ask, you know, what is Jonah about or what comes to mind when you hear the name Jonah? And maybe for some, it's nothing. That's okay. Um, but if it's something does come to mind, it's very likely that it's the great fish, right? The great fish, maybe we can even picture different images we've seen in children's Bibles or elsewhere. The great fish that will swallow the prophet Jonah. Well, what is this book about? My hope over the next few weeks that we will see that Jonah's story is not ultimately about a fish, it's ultimately about the mercy of God. It's about the mercy of God. God shows mercy towards the violent city of Nineveh. He shows mercy towards the pagan sailors who were filled with fear. And he shows mercy towards Jonah, even though that he was focused on running away. As we read this book, I imagine that some of us will be moved by this mercy as we see and we'll even find ourselves identifying with some of those who have received mercy through this story. But there's another thing that this book does is that as it invites us to the mercy of God, it allows us to see that mercy at times is troubling. That mercy is not always welcomed. And that's the case for Jonah as well, who wonders why show mercy to Nineveh a city that was known for showing no mercy? What if I want them to get what they deserve? What if it's about time that the calamity does come upon them? Like Jonah, we might feel some of those questions in our hearts as well. And my hope is that as we read this strange and ancient book about a stubborn prophet, terrified sailors, a pagan city, and a great fish, that we'll feel how it speaks to us about limiting our love, limiting our sympathies, about our prejudice and granting understanding only to some neighbors, but excluding others from such compassion. I encourage you, it's only four chapters long, I encourage you to read it at home sometime to get a sense of the whole story, but today we're going to just look at the first three verses, and they set the tension that will unfold over the next four chapters of this book. So let's read together. Jonah 1 through 3 from the first chapter. You can follow in your order, your Bible, or just listen as I read. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Imitai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. This is God's word given for our good. Well, this opening few verses has two parts, and our sermon will have two parts as well. The two parts are God's call and Jonah's response. God's call and Jonah's response. So let's start with God's call, which says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, 
Go to Nineveh and call out against it. For their evil or their calamity has come up before me. Arise, up, go. This is an unambiguous call. In my name, Jonah, go hundreds of miles to the northeast into the great city of Nineveh and preach. Call out to them. And this book, in this manner, opens in similar to other prophetic books that we see in the Old Testament, that the word of the Lord came to a person that God has commissioned to the work. Yet right away we see that while it has similar opening words, it is a very different book than other prophets. God is calling a prophet of Israel to leave Israel and go to a Gentile city and not just any Gentile city. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrians were known as the cruelest, or some of the cruelest and most violent empire of the ancient world. History tells us that those who did not survive Assyrian aggression were fated to endure cruel slavery. As I mentioned before, they were known to show no mercy, no mercy to their neighbors. And at this time, Israel had been paying tribute to Assyria to to keep them away for a number of years. And so it was a land and it was a people that brought forth fear and even hate, a sense of terror. And we need to think about that because it's, it's to this place and it's to this people that Jonah feared and hated. It's to this place that God calls him to go. This is at the heart of the story that God's putting before us, that it's to the people that Jonah feared and hated that God calls him to go. Go because their evil or their calamity has come before me. Come to my notice, God says. What does this mean? What does that mean as far as the calling that God gives to Jonah? And the word here is not just that they've done wrong. They, They have done wrong before God. But the word here of evil or calamity suggests that they are about to reap what they've sown. They are about to bear the fruit of the wickedness that they have done. They're about to have a calamity come upon them. And again, it's worth us stopping and to realize that not only Jonah, but probably many of his neighbors or others in this world at that time would have said, good. Good, it's about time this happens. And we might not be able to relate to the Assyrians and to Jonah's experience with this empire. But here's a moment for us to think about our response at times. Maybe that we can think of a time in which towards a person or towards a situation, whether we've spoken out loud or in our hearts, we've concluded, well, you're getting what you deserve. What did you think was going to happen? These are the choices that you've made. It's into that reality, into that heart, into that response that Jonah surely had, that God's call reveals that his response is different. God calls Jonah to go, 
to personally address the evil of the Assyrian Empire and to offer hope of repentance and the hope of divine mercy that the calamity might not come upon them and they might not get what they deserve. So the book opens with God's call, but the other part for us to think about this morning is what is Jonah's response? What is Jonah's response? Arise, go, go to Nineveh, but, do we see, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. As I read that, did you notice the repetition? Three times Tarshish is mentioned closely together that this is his goal. He runs away towards Tarshish, finds a ship leaving for Tarshish. He goes with them to Tarshish. So what, what is this place? It was a faraway city on the far coast of Spain. It was a city on the outermost western rim of the, the world that was known to the Israelites of that day. See, it was more than just a spot on the map. It represents, even by its location, a desire to get away. And twice we hear that desire to flee from the presence of the Lord. To get away from the presence of the Lord. Do you see what Jonah, he wants to stop hearing the call. To avoid or silence or quiet the voice. And again, we might not relate directly to Jonah's experience, but it does invite us to think as we enter into this prophetic book in what ways that we have run, in what ways that we are even running now to the outermost parts of the world. Maybe to avoid certain things or to stop hearing certain words or to silence the voice. God calls, but Jonah does the exact opposite. The exact opposite of what God told him. Called to go east, he went west. Directed to travel over land, he went to the sea. Sent to the great city, he set out for the edge of the world. And I want us to ask why. <laughs> Not just today, but over the next few weeks, why is this the response that Jonah has to God? It's not till the end of the book in chapter 4 that Jonah does actually talk for a while, explains what he was seeking to do. But even here in these opening verses, we get some hints. We can imagine some of the reasons. One, just based on the city of Nineveh, we can see that for Jonah, he might have said, this makes no practical sense. It's dangerous. It's far away. And what would one voice, one outsider do in the face of a great city? Surely it will be unsuccessful. It will, it's foolish. It will mean being despised, laughed at, experienced suffering, mistreatment, maybe even death. Why would I do this? But there's something more than practical concerns, I think, that we're invited to, to reflect on. 
that Jonah's his fleeing, his running away, points out that God is not acting in the way that Jonah wants or finds understandable. That God's not acting in the way that Jonah wants or that's reasonable. A society using its power for selfish violence deserves to be destroyed, deserves any calamity coming its way. So why this call? Why invite them to repent of their actions? Why would the God of Israel, why would a prophet of Israel be concerned with this people or this city? Yet again, it's very, this very place, this very people that God calls Jonah to go. Recently, I was reading a work by an author named Jamie Santa Cruz, and in it, she references this phrase. She says, maddening this gap between us. Maddening this gap between us. And she writes that about the experience that she has with a longtime friend. Maddening this gap between her and me on politics, on faith, on all things touched by these two. And she goes on, gaps that didn't exist, it seems, last time I saw her, but they have become far more obvious over the last two fraught years. If you're like me, I imagine that you can relate to that experience, maddening this gap between us. Again, Jonah's experience seems so different than ours, and in many ways it is ancient and hard to understand but he invites us to think about the gaps that we feel. Gaps maybe like Jonah with people who were always other, always different. But what about gaps with those who we have long connections to, that our lives are connected and intertwined with? And see, God's call to Jonah invites us to ask, what do we do with such gaps? What do they mean? And in Jonah's response, we see one way of seeing it, one way of understanding it, and that Jonah at the core wants God to be like him, a God of his own making, a God who dishes out what Jonah believes is deserved, who sees things the same way that Jonah sees them. But when the real God shows up, when the real God shows up with a merciful call of repentance towards those who Jonah does not identify with. Jonah is filled with anger. Why would God care about these people? In Jonah's response, as we think about gathering here in the name of Christ, Jonah's response reminds us of a warning that Jesus gives to us. Be careful how you judge, for you too shall be judged in the same manner but also gives us a pointer to the promise that is wonderful and del delightful, the mercy of God in Christ. This expansion's vision from the very beginning of the scriptures to the end, that God through the family of Abraham would bless all nations, and that those who are in Christ, that he is gathering a people for himself from every tribe, every tongue, every people. That he sends out his disciples intentionally into all the nations, that they would know the good news 
And that those who are baptized into Christ would have this delightful reality that there is no more Jew and Gentile, no more male and female, no more slave and free, but that we are all one in Christ. This is the vision and the mercy of God. But Jonah invites us to feel not only its delight, but its challenge. What if God intends to show mercy to those that we are not interested in receiving mercy? You see, God calls Jonah to participate, but he resists. And maybe like us at times, he wonders, is God and God's ways actually good? Can this God and God's mercy be trusted? Jonah isn't so sure, and so he seeks to flee from the presence of the Lord, leaving us to wonder what will happen. And as we close, it's worth us hearing and remembering the words from Psalm 139 that in some ways almost speak as if they're directed right to Jonah and maybe to us. Oh Lord, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, and if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will meet me and your right hand will hold me. May it be so in our lives today and for all our neighbors. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and we pray that you would speak to us by it through your spirit, that you would minister to us, that not only would we know and rest in your mercy, but that by your spirit we would be changed by it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us. We'll sing together. Your labor is not in vain, though the ground underneath you is cursed and stained. Your planting and reaping are never the same, but your labor is not.
Father, you feed the sparrow and clothe the lilies of the field, and you have promised never to forsake your children. Give us eyes to see you as you are and to worship you, joining with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. seated. Well, having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. And this morning, we're going to participate in communion through these prepackaged elements. So if you're planning on participating, if you're a follower of Christ and are going to participate, if you need one, please raise your hand and, and Will can bring one to you. Thank you. I know up here in the front. Thanks, Will. Anybody else? 
Well, as we prepare to participate, and, and if you're not participating, these are still signs of who God is and his kingdom. As we reflect on God's word, we heard from the book of Jonah, this table reminds us, again, that our place at it, each day from the beginning to all of our life, rests in the mercy of God. It is when we think that we have somehow earned our seat that we begin to look at others with disjudgment or disdain to wonder why they don't deserve get what they deserve. The truth is that our place at the table and the family of God comes from his grace from beginning to end. For he is not only the one who has made us, but he is the one who pursued us in our sin, pursued us in our wandering, brought forgiveness and grace into the depths of our sin. This is the good news of this meal that Jesus gives us. So let us remember that and rest in the good news that you're invited to the mercy of God in Christ who bore your sin and death and gave you new life in his resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this table, this gift that you give us that reminds us that you're not only our creator, but our redeemer. And that our value comes not only from you creating us, but from remembering us and holding us. We thank you that we have a place in your family by your mercy, and we pray that we would rest in that, and that through your grace and spirit, we would offer mercy in your name. We pray that you would meet us at this table, lift our heads in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll invite you to go ahead and prepare these elements. If you have them, if you haven't already, open them. On the night that he was betrayed after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you do so, as often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let's eat in faith. In Christ's blood, it was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. Well, in response to this table of grace that God has given to us, let's stand together if, as we are able, and we can pray together and sing our, and confess our faith together. Lord Jesus Christ, renew us and grant us your peace as we proclaim the mystery of faith. me in this responsive confession of our faith. As followers of Jesus Christ living in this world, which some seek to control, but which others view with despair, we declare with joy and trust our world belongs to God. From the beginning, 
through all the crises of our times until his kingdom fully comes. God keeps covenant forever. Our world belongs to him. Let the earth be glad. Before singing the doxologist, a reminder that God has been generous to us as we've seen through his table and word. If you'd like to respond uh, to his generosity by giving to the work of the Lord, you can do so by offering plates in the back or through the church website. I invite you to to do that work um, in, in the name of God. Let's now sing the doxology as we celebrate his generosity. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father. Receive now God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. You may go in peace.